So we have been reflecting on the book of Proverbs, which is a repository of wisdom. It calls out to us, and it's available to any who stop by and listen. Wisdom, skill in living life, given to us by the very giver of life. He knows how to live life best, and so he's addressed uh, through Solomon and others in the book of Proverbs many subjects, one of which is the one you just wrestled with, the subject of the fear of the Lord. So I did a survey of the book of Proverbs just with reference to that concept, uh, to fear God, the fear of the Lord, and, and I learned a bunch of stuff, and now I have the privilege of passing those things on to you, and I hope it'll be helpful I think the starting point with regard to the subject is first to define it. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, can I offer this rather simple uh, definition? In part, to fear God, it seems to me, is res to respect his presence. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it is a lot. It means this. God is. He exists. And it means more than that he exists. God is here. It means he is ever-present. He's omnipresent. Part of what it means to fear the Lord is to respect his presence. And since he is here, he is to be acknowledged. It is only a foolish and unwise person who would deny the existence of God and ignore the presence of God. It's the mark of a wise person to show the fear of God by acknowledging his presence. So those who fear God, this will tell you if you're one of them, have a continual awareness of his presence. You cannot get him out of your mind and you would not if you could. You're glad he's there. He's not just by your side. He envelops you. He guards your back and he leads the way from the front. And he protects you on the right and on the left. You are enveloped by the presence of God. A God-fearer has been persuaded by God himself that he is there, that he is present. In other words, you, the creaturely being, need not do life alone, for the Creator is always there. And when you are most alone, you're still in his company. When you feel most separated from a support system, most distanced from certain people, most removed from others, still there is God in the midst of it all, always watching, always looking, always guiding, always with you. I remember years and years ago, I was a missionary in Germany. And it was a difficult day for me, this particular day, and I decided to go into a wooded forest area in Germany. Where I was in Germany, I had the privilege of being in a very beautiful area. I was in Heidelberg, Germany. It's beautiful. In fact, I met my wife there. And I would go off around Heidelberg, and there were many areas, wooded areas, secluded areas, where there were walking paths, and you could just go and be absolutely alone. And I went deep into the forest one day to be alone with God. Up ahead was a stump, 
a tree stump, and I decided to make my way there and sit on it and pray. That's what I did. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw a young girl. She couldn't have been more than eight years old. She was skipping along. She wore a dress, the kind of dress you would see a young eight-year-old wear, maybe on Easter. It might have been pink. I don't remember. It was a frilly little girl's dress. And there she was in the middle of the woods, absolutely carefree, as if she didn't have a concern in the world. And I thought she ought to be concerned because she's in the midst of the woods. Is she not concerned about getting off the path, getting lost, maybe not found? Is she not concerned about those who would perhaps prey upon her in the woods? She was absolutely alone, and I couldn't get it. How could she be so at ease just skipping along, looking at a butterfly there and a bird here? absolutely without a care in the world. And before I could complete my thoughts, I realized why she could conduct herself in such fashion. Just a few paces behind her was her dad, a big German man with his loving attention fixed on his beautiful little eight-year-old, ready to take her by the hand if she got off track, ready to intervene if she was in danger. This little girl had such a fear in the sense of reverence and respect for her dad that she decided she could leave most of the business, uh, most of the work of life up to him, and she could just enjoy the ride and enjoy the woods because her father was ever-present and on duty. I think that's what it means to be a God-fearer, to have reverence for, to have recognition of, to respond to the presence of God in such fashion that we're just like that little girl making our way through the woods of life, knowing our Father's eye is ever upon us, and he's ready to extend his mighty right arm to keep us on track if we're on the verge of losing our way. The presence of God. Some have tried, you see, to remove God, the giver of life, from the equation of life, but one who is a God-fearer knows that's an exercise in futility, wouldn't dare to do it. No, a God-fearing person accepts gladly the very presence of God and responds rightly to it. A God-fearer knows since God is here, he is to be known. He is to be pursued and followed. He is to be depended on and trusted in. He is to be yielded to and obeyed. He is to be loved. So then, to fear God means, in part, to respect his presence. But secondly, to fear God means, in my opinion, to respect his transcendence. A God-fearer respects the presence of God, ah, but also the transcendence of God. Here's what I mean. Though God is very much here, he is still above the here and now. He transcends what is. He's here in the material world, but he's apart from the material world. He transcends it. Look, he made the world. It is he who sustains the world. He for sure loves the world. 
Nonetheless, he's out of this world. And though he is one who invites us into a familiar covenant relationship with him, we must be careful not to bring him so far down to earth that he becomes our equal, the co-pilot of it all instead of the master of our destiny. No, no, he transcends the material universe, and as such, he has no equal in this world. We are not his equals. He transcends us. Therefore, he is our master, not our equal. He not only transcends the material world which contains us, he transcends the sin which characterizes us. He transcends all that is evil, corrupt, and unholy. He hates that which is unholy. He is holy. He transcends unholiness. Not only that, he transcends the uh, time and the space reality of life that we can't get out of. We're locked in time, and we're locked in space. That's the way it is. We can't pass through walls, and we can only live in the here and now. The past is the past. This is the present, and we can't control the future. We're locked in the confines, you see, of space and time, but God is not. He transcends it all. Now, since I am not he... I do not transcend space and time, neither do you. Uh, therefore, I have to accept this fact. I am not in control of my own days. I'm not in control of my time. My time is not my own, and my time is not in my own hands. I cannot get through this space-time dimension. I cannot move through it and forward in it unless this transcendent deity guides me and enables me. I'm not transcendent. He is. My movement in time and space is not in my hands. I am not God. He is. I am not. He calls the shots. He determines what I do with my time, how I govern the space and impact on the space in which I could be found. I am obligated to the one who transcends space and time. This one, by virtue of his transcendence, is to be respected as our master. He's the master of our destiny. He's not the big guy upstairs. This one, God, is to be respected and revered and worshipped. And if I would one day get out of this time and enter into eternal time, I must fear the God who alone possesses eternality. I must get into eternal time by the grace and power of the eternal deity. Can you see what it means, therefore, to fear this God? It means to respect his presence, and it also means to respect his 
transcendence. Now, that being what it means to fear God, why do it? What would we get out of it? Are there benefits for fearing God? Yes, let me share a few. One is wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One of the byproducts or benefits of fearing God is the acquisition of wisdom. Why do we need to acquire it? I'll tell you why. Because we're not born with it. We're born, I wouldn't say stupid, but we're born with an inclination to be immoral. By the way, when the Bible speaks of foolishness, it's usually not a reference to a deficit in one's IQ. It's a commentary on one's deficient morality. I'm born with deficient morality. Wisdom means to live morally, according to God's moral standards. I don't have it. Not only that, I can't acquire it just by getting old. You and I have run into many older people who are plenty unwise. Somehow, the acquisition of biblical wisdom, skill in living life, uh, seems not automatically to come with gray or white hair. Therefore, if I'm not born with it and I cannot acquire it simply by the aging process, how do I get wisdom? Solomon says it's a byproduct of fearing Almighty God. That's one of the reasons to do so. Show reverence for the presence of God and for the transcendence of God, and he bequeaths to the God-fearer wisdom, skillfulness in living life. So that's one of the benefits of fearing God. Here is a second, a prolonged life. Listen to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Ah, Not only a life lived more wisely, but a life of longer duration. That's a promise of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. But wait a second. You may say, that can't be right. I know lots of godly people who die prematurely and many ungodly, evil people who have long life. That seems to fly in the face of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Folks, remember what we're reading. We're reading Proverbs. And I explained a long time ago, a proverb is a statement of general truth. You say to someone in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you, you say to that person, What's the weather like here in Washington or Oregon? They say to you, oh, it rains all the time. Now, that's not scientifically accurate. It doesn't rain all the time. They have one or two days of sun out there in the Pacific Northwest. It's a proverb. It's a statement of general truth. Generally, the person who lives out there Uh, would say, we get lots of precipitation. If you come out here, don't forget your umbrella. That's what a proverb is. It's a statement of general truth. It is stating generally, the God-fearing person will live a fuller and longer life. Why? Well, for one reason, 
the person who fears the Lord is less likely to engage in life-shortening activities. Uh, like criminal activity. If you're engaged in criminal activity, you could end up being dead. People get shot one way or the other, oftentimes when they choose a life of crime. Also, a God-fearer is less likely uh, to be mastered by things like drugs and alcohol. I didn't say we Christians don't struggle with it, but we're less likely to be mastered by it, and those are things known to shorten someone's life. A God-fearer is less likely to live an unbounded sexual life and therefore less likely to be the victim of a sexually transmitted disease or uh, such things. So can you see Proverbs is absolutely accurate. One of the byproducts of living a life in which God is respected is that you live longer. And don't forget this. This is really a reference to a prolonged life in eternity. And there, Proverbs is not stating a general truth. It's stating a precise truth that applies to absolutely every person who so fears the Lord, <laughs> the eternal Savior of all, that upon the acceptance of him, that one is guaranteed the ultimate prolongation of life. That's eternal life. So here we have two benefits of fearing God. Number one is wisdom in living life. Two is the privilege of living a longer and fuller life. And here's a third benefit. It's found in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. That's what it says. Are you aware of the fact that fears and anxieties are on the rise. Uh, people are fearing all manner of things um, on every front. The list of what people are becoming afraid of, fearful of, is really, really growing. But the one who has chosen, it's a choice, to be dominated by the fear of God will simply not be dominated by the fears of anyone or anything else. It's a choice you and I make. This one, the God-fearer, is confident that no matter what happens, even in this exciting election year, no matter what happens, God is sovereign and God is good. The God-fearer has made this choice to be dominated not by the news, but by the good news of the presence and transcendence of Almighty God. So the God-fearer is not one who's unaffected by the realities of the day, but the God-fearer is not dominated by it. The God-fearer is controlled instead by the reality of the sovereignty and goodness of God. The God-fearer acknowledges the harsh realities of the day, but sees God as being much bigger than these realities. So for instance, when people are big and God is small, 
then we fear people. When circumstances are big and God is small, then we fear circumstances. When the future is big and God is small, then we have no choice but to fear the future. But the God-fearer has an enormous transcendent God in mind. And there is no reality, no person, no circumstance, no happenstance, and no outcome that looms as large as transcendent deity. Therefore, when all this is happening, and boy, is it ever, the God-fearer says, yes, but it pales in comparison to the bigness and betterness of the God who I have chosen to fear. So the fear of the Lord brings benefits, wisdom, a prolonged life, confidence in this most unstable day in which we live, and it also provides a benefit for our children and grandchildren. The same verse we just read, Proverbs 14, verse 26, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Now listen. And his children will have a refuge. His children. Who is that a reference to? It's a reference to the God-fearer. The man or the woman, the father or the mother, the grandfather or the grandmother who has chosen to put his or her confidence in Almighty God, who has chosen to fear God above all other things and all other people, will pass that on to his or her children or grandchildren without even realizing it. Why? In making God your refuge, in stacking God up against even the problems that loom large today to find him to be even bigger, in running to him for refuge, in trusting in his sovereignty and goodness during the throes of life, young people, this next generation around us, find out how to live. They see how we God-fearers are living, and they choose to exercise the same option and live the same way. Listen, if you're not showing your kids and grandkids, and even those who are not your children biologically, the next generation, if you're not showing the next generation how you make recourse to Almighty God in this day, if you're not showing them that when you're weak, he's strong, if you're not showing them that the harsh realities of life, harsh that they, though they may be, give way to the sovereignty and goodness of God, if you are not running to him in their presence, you are robbing them of the opportunity to do the same when they run into trouble later on in life. So the God-fearer, the one who fears the Lord, provides the blessing of giving an example to children of how to run to God as a refuge as well. When I grew up, I noticed that when my father was in trouble, financial or otherwise, he was a good guy, my dad, but when he was in trouble, I noticed he made recourse to alcohol. He, uh, he showed respect to the contents of the Bible, of, of, the, of the bottle, not the Bible. That would, in essence, it was his God. 
it would provide for him relief and release right away. That is, until he came to the bottle. He, he showed me that's how you live. When you run into something in life that you can't handle, that hurts, that overwhelms, um, drink it away. That's what he showed me. So what did I do? I simply lived life the same way I learned how to do it, you see. My father was not a God-fearer. He, he was an alcohol-fearer. <laughs> uh, but my kids have the benefit of having seen a God-fearing father and mother, and that increases. It doesn't determine their choices, but increases the probability that when they run into the difficulties of life, it increases the probability they'll choose the living God as their recourse and not what's in a bottle or in a drug or something like that. So these are the benefits of fearing God. I know Proverbs says so much more, but for the sake of time, I just want to, I just want to share this with you. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord, it's a fountain of life. Uh, uh, Proverbs 19, verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Folks, there is no better life upon this earth than a life lived in the fear of the Lord. Whatever it else it, it may be true, whatever it is we may not have, look around to the world around you and me. How are people doing who are not fearing God? Is their life attractive? Are they succeeding? Are they overcoming? Are they exercising wisdom? Look at the complications people are bringing upon themselves by living life as if God is not there. Folks, life lived in the fear of God is the best way to live life here on earth. Now, let me clarify something. I'm using the word fear of God, which might be disturbing you a little bit. Uh, both the believer and the non-believer must fear God, one way or the other. However, whereas the believer uh, fears God in the sense of reverence of a son for a loving father, for the unbeliever, the fear of God is fearful anticipation of his judgment. The believer does not have that fear. Why not? Because God's love casts out that fear. But the non-believer lives still with the fearful anticipation of judgment at the hands of a holy God. Because remember, he's transcendent. He transcends evil. He's not tempted by sin. He commits none. He hates it. He deals with it. He wants to uh, eradicate it. And the one who practices it, sin has to stand one day before a holy God and give a, an account. That is not the reality a believer has to face. Why? Because we're saved from the wrath of God. How? It all was poured out on the shoulders of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. So both the believer and the non-believer must Fear almighty God. But on the part of the believer, it's not constrained. It's volunteered. In fact, we delight in the fear of the God. When, when we fear our father, it's a way of saying, wow, my dad is great. 
My dad is bigger than your dad. <laughs> my dad is alive and well, and he loves me, and he's big. And he's always with me, and he'll never leave me or forsake me. That's the fear of God to be delighted in by the believer. For the non-believer, it's an entirely different thing. It truly is a fearful enterprise one day to fall into the hands of the living God. Therefore, I beseech you, should you be in that category, show this much respect for God. Show this much fear of him that you would accept the son he sent to suffer and die on your behalf. Listen to me. You as a dad or a granddad, how do you feel about someone who would mistreat your son or grandson? How do you think the father feels when we dismiss, denigrate, or deny the son whom he sent? The starting point for you who have the wrong fear of God is to show at least uh, sufficient respect for him to accept the son whom he sent to die on your behalf and for your sins. That decision can and should be made tonight because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Remember, you don't transcend time. Only God does. You don't know if you have a tomorrow. You can't get to tomorrow unless the God who transcends time brings you there. He may choose not to. Therefore, you may fall into the hands of the living God tonight. And perhaps this is distasteful, but it's true. He's so holy, he's a consuming fire. He consumes sin and the sinner. Therefore, I beseech you, if you've not shown at least this much respect to the Father, so as to respond rightly to the Son whom he sent to die on your behalf, do so tonight. Say, Father, thank you. for providing for me the best you had to offer. Your only begotten, one of a kind, son, sinless Jesus, who died for me, a sinful one. Come into my life. Possess me. Grant me the privilege of delighting in reverencing you as being the ever-present, yet always transcendent deity. My Abba, Papa, into whose arms I could run, yet my heavenly Father, at whose feet I will bow. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Look at that. You could, you should make that decision tonight. If you're laboring over it, want help with it, before we dismiss Please go into the Connection Center. It's a room right behind us. Folks there will field your questions about this, help you to know what it means to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, help you to know what it means to have the proper fear of God. Now, for believers, fellow believers, uh, there is no doubt that God is allowing a shaking in our day. I hope I'm not a prophet of doom. I don't mean to be. I just want to be realistic. What a day we live in. I don't know if it's the shakiest day in the course of human history. I know it's the shakiest day in the course of my history. In my span on earth thus far, I have never lived in a day like this day. 
In fact, if you told me not too many years ago that the situation we are now in is the situation we would be in, I would laugh at you, and I would doubt it. And yet things are happening at a rapid clip, not good things, bad things, a devolving of society, a, uh, an insistence on rights as over against responsibilities, a rebellion against truth and the author of truth, the likes of which I've never known. A, uh, an enthusiasm <laughs> for earthen vessels, at best, to be potential leaders <laughs> uh, of the country, which has been the superpower of the free world, <laughs> a rush to judgment, and an unbridled enthusiasm for a thoroughly human candidate is overwhelming to me. Overwhelming. The anger, the cynicism, the interest in anarchy, the upheaval even at rallies, Uh, is overwhelming. The economic bondage. Uh, our country and the world is in such that whole countries could declare bankruptcy. What? How does it happen? How does a country go bankrupt? This is I can't wrap my mind around. You know what I can't wrap my mind around? $19 trillion in debt. That's a lot of money, right? What does that, can you? That's about $58,000 of indebtedness for every American, man, woman, and child. <laughs> what? That is not sustainable. Do you, do you know that? You, you can't. And not only is it not being dealt with, it is being added to. By who? Both parties. That's who. Uh, and I think what God is doing is saying, all this is because... Um, you refuse to fear me. Here's what it means to fear God. It means to have this attitude. There is a God, and I am not he. <laughs> That's what it means to fear God. There is a God, his presence. I am not he. He's transcendent. That's what it means to fear God. But, but I think God is saying, ah, you won't even express that. You're living as if I'm not here. You're living as if I'm an option, not a necessity. You give me lip service, but you don't bow before me. You do things your way, not my way. And because I am the way I am, not threatened by you, I will allow you the freedom to make your choices, which entails living with the consequences of your choices. And I think... The day we're living in exemplifies, illustrates the consequences of being in rebellion against God. 
he does not have to impose punishment upon us. He simply has to let us be. The one who demands autonomy from God shall have it. The nation, the government that demands independence from God shall have it. Uh, the country legislation that uh, roots out God's truth and any semblance of his presence in schools, in the marketplace, and increasingly even in churches, uh, shall have that kind of independence and freedom from the God who is there and who transcends it all. So I think that's the day in which we live in. Therefore, uh, things are being shaken up like crazy. But though this is disturbing for sure, we believers need to remember, nonetheless, we are part of an unshakable kingdom. We have to do that or we're going to go under with the rest. <laughs> Even though things are shaky and being shaken up, we are part of an unshakable kingdom. When one fears something, that thing has control over the fearful one. Our God-fear is under the control of God. We can't let the headlines create such fear and dismay uh, that we come to be under control of the headlines, a God-fearer has chosen not only where to put his faith, but also where to put his fear. He says, I'll fear God, not the current of the day. And I must tell you, it's becoming increasingly essential and more vital for those of us who are God-fearers to continue to live in the fear of the Lord before the mass of humanity either in turmoil or soon to be in turmoil because they have to see what it's like to make Almighty God a refuge in time of need. More than ever before, it's vital that we God-fearers not be ashamed of the title. In a prior generation, the term a God-fearing people was a compliment. I think we have to make it a compliment again. A man named Oswald Sand Chambers, I'll close with this, made this statement. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. What is a God-fearer? Someone who respects the presence of God and the transcendence of God. Are you a God-fearer? Are you ashamed to be a God-fearer? No. With more enthusiasm and passion than ever before, we ought to live life in the fear of God. And this is our prayer, almighty God. We can't do it unless you implant your spirit in us. Well, God in heaven, help us to delight even more in your presence and transcendence in this most challenging shaky, and unstable day. Oh, God in heaven, help us to so live that people around us see that we've made you our refuge and very present help 
in time of need. Thank you, O oh God, for giving us the option of being free from panic and dismay because we placed our faith and our reverence in you, ever-present, always transcendent, living Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.